Welcome back to another Takes by the Lake. Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com here for another Browns podcast. We know the Indians are uh, starting the playoffs, but uh, I don't know. I have no rationale and no excuse. I'm just going to keep talking about the Browns. So we're going to do that here on Takes by the Lake. Thanks, as always, to you guys for joining us. Um, big guest this week. I think you guys know this guy. He was on Takes by the Lake previously before the 2017 draft. And the reason I wanted to get him back on this week is because I think a lot of you guys on Twitter um, follow him, enjoy him. He's Benjamin Albright. He is a, a radio guy in Denver, but who I think is is certainly gaining ground as a, a national voice um, around the NFL. And so there's two things at play here. Um, one is that I clearly remember him when we did a, a particular draft preview show uh, before the 2017 draft, he was, I think, the only the only guy I talked to and one of the few people that I heard linking the Browns to Patrick Mahomes. And we see now what Patrick Mahomes has done in Kansas City. John Dorsey, as you know, the Chiefs GM at that time traded up to the number 10 spot in the draft to take Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City while the Browns were at number 12. The Browns then traded out of the number 12 spot where Houston took Deshaun Watson. And a lot of people in that moment were caught up on the idea that Deshaun Watson could have been a Cleveland Brown. And he could have been. And they decided to do something else. Um, But I think that one of the things that was maybe lost for a little bit in there was that I I think it's very possible that the guy the Browns really were interested in um, in that draft was Patrick Mahomes. So now that Patrick Mahomes is going nuts, we talked to Ben about that. And then also Ben, who is a prolific tweeter, you can follow him at AllbrightNFL. That's A-L-L-B-R-I-G-H-T-N-F-L. He was tweeting um, about the NFL recently, and he put out some power rankings this week, that are based on um, some numbers that he puts together himself. It's a mathematical formula. And he has the Browns 10th. The Cleveland Browns 10th in his power rankings for the first four games of the season. And he knows that that is unusual, but he's going by some of the numbers that he crunches. And so we talked about that. But also beyond the numbers, this is a guy who 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 thinks something is happening in Cleveland. Okay, and again, I think this is a guy that has a sense for the league. Um, he's heavy on the Browns. He's excuse me. He's heavy on the Broncos. Heavy on the Chiefs. Um, heavy on that area in the NFL. But he also has contacts and sources and opinions about the rest of the league. He tweeted on October 1st, the Cleveland Browns are two missed field goals and an early whistle from being undefeated right now. They're not a gimme game anymore. Okay? Not a gimme game. I hate it when people whine about officiating, but Browns fans have a legit gripe for this one. Talking about what happened in Oakland last week. Somebody responded to him on Twitter and said, um... You sure want people to know the Browns don't suck anymore. I don't think they're bad at all, but I think you think they're, they are better than they are. And he responded by saying, 
They should be 4-0. I think people are drastically underestimating them. So this is the guy I wanted to talk to. I like talking to Ben all the time, but I thought he had some interesting Browns opinion this week. So we talked to Ben. Um, and I want to preface the conversation um, with something that that I've tried to be, not careful, but I've tried to be um, aware. Try to be self-reflective at times. I try to be aware of my own foibles. And so I don't want anyone to think that I am a guy who is out to get Hugh Jackson, because I'm not. I know I've been critical of Hugh Jackson during his first two years, last year especially. Um, Hugh didn't like that. That's fine. But I was open-minded. I said I try to be very open-minded going into this season because he was back. And, and so there wasn't a lot of point to rehashing should he be back. He was. He is the coach of the Cleveland Browns. And I wanted to be open-minded about that. Now that we're a quarter of the way through the season, I think it is reasonable to begin to watch in a way that tells you, is this coach holding this team back? At one, two, and one, if they were two, one, and one, you know what? I, I think it could throw all that stuff out and just try to watch this team try to win. And that would be the only thing that matters. Um, at one, two, and one, it, it, you know what? They're they're in it. They're in the mix, right? They're tenth in Ben Albright's and Ben Albright's ratings. But I think it's interesting to watch this team through the lens of is this coach holding them back? And here's what I think you should keep in mind: They are young. They are the second youngest team in the league. They are starting a rookie quarterback. They are leaning on a rookie corner and a rookie fifth-round pass rusher and a second-year number-one overall pick pass rusher and a second-year defensive tackle, um, a safety who's new to the Browns this year. They're, they're leaning on young guys, and we know that, right? I mean, everybody knows that. They're leaning on Antonio Callaway on offense. They're leaning on David Njoku. They're leaning on Nick Chubb more and more, I think. But I just would ask you, if you hear the word culture, think coaching. If you hear anyone say, including Hugh Jackson, say, we need to finish better, think he needs to finish better. Because these young players, this young roster is on a path, okay? And they are going to make mistakes and fall short at times because that's the nature of it. Because they are young and they are on their way to somewhere. Is Hugh Jackson on his way to somewhere? Or, after being a head coach in Oakland for a year, now in his third season in Cleveland, should he be there already? Should he be there waiting for this young team to catch up with him? Or is it reasonable for Hugh Jackson to be on this same path of progress as the second youngest team in the league? I think he should be there. I think he should, despite not having great talent the past couple years, they should have been more competitive than they were, but it's not about the past, it's about now. I think he should be there. I think he should be there waiting for his team to catch up. It should not look 
like they are ahead of him, and he is trying to catch up to them. And that applies to him and his entire coaching staff, because he's responsible for his coaching staff. Yes, we can blame Greg Williams for this, we can blame Amos Jones for that, we can blame Todd Haley for that, but that's Hugh Jackson's coaching staff. He is still part of any blame that you put on an assistant. Part of that blame goes to Hugh Jackson because they are his assistants. So if you see a coaching staff that is trailing behind a young team with some pieces that's trying to win, then they can't be back. And it's time to start watching for that. Four games is enough time to be open-minded. It is time to start watching for that, and maybe a bunch of you guys are already on that path. I have not written a ton about Hugh Jackson. We've had a lot going on with the Ohio State beat. We have somebody leaving. Hopefully, we'll have someone coming in soon. I've been doing a lot of Ohio State. I have not done as much Browns lately as I would like, but I will continue to do more Browns during the course of this season, and that's what I'm watching for because it is time to watch for that. Maybe you're already there. A lot of talk radio is already there. I, I, I think it's I think it's counterproductive, not even not even just like not worthwhile. I think it's perhaps counterproductive to bang a drum for the first month on this guy stinks, okay? Because there were still some moving parts. Baker Mayfield just made his first start last week. There, there are moving parts. The parts are settling. And you cannot have a coach who is behind a young team. He must be in front of them, leading them, waiting for them, showing them the way. He should not be learning with them. He should not be behind them in the progress. And that's what I'm wondering about and thinking about with Hugh Jackson. So I may have restated myself a couple times there, but I'm here to tell you that uh, I've tried to be open-minded, but I'm going to be writing about Hugh Jackson more because I just think it's time and I think it's reasonable. And I think we are now at the point where we see what Mike Vrabel is doing in Tennessee after Tennessee was a playoff team last year, got rid of its coach, brought in a new coach because they thought they could be better. And they are finding a way to win. That's not team. That's not culture. That's a coach getting a team over the top. Culture and coach are the same thing. You think that the players are about creating a culture and a winning culture. It's about talent and coaching. So let's see Hugh Jackson be a coach who can help this team get over the top when they are in these situations they've been in. Kicking, officiating, we know everything that hasn't worked. Now it's time to look at Hugh Jackson. Okay, you can uh, drop some reviews if you'd like for Takes by the Lake on iTunes. We always appreciate that. You can tweet me at Doug Lamarice, L-E-S-M-E-R-I-S-E-S. Please read me at cleveland.com. And um, please welcome one of the uh, one of the sharpest NFL minds I think around the league. It's Ben Albright here on Takes by the Lake. All right, so happy to have Ben Albright back on Takes by the Lake. We had him a couple years ago before the draft, and we're going to get into what we talked about then because this is a guy who is right on a lot of stuff in the NFL. Um, but Ben, the thing I want to dig into with you right away is. I saw your NFL power rankings that you put up recently on Twitter um, based on some analytical things, but you had the Cleveland Browns number 10, and I am fascinated by that, 
and I'm just curious what where you're coming from on that idea of the Cleveland Browns maybe, and it's early, of course, but why they're number 10 in those rankings. Well, it's not an opinion-based um, ranking. It's a mathematical model I do. Um, that, you know, Early on, the, the, the data is it's a little too small of a sample size, so it's going to get some quirks. But um, you know, as it goes forward, it really gives a good projection on confidence in that team's ability to win going forward. Uh, and you know, the math suggests that the Cleveland Browns should have more wins than they do and uh, should be winning more football games going forward. Um, you know, they're a team that could have been very easily before now, uh, based on the uh, you know the way things have played out. The breaks haven't gone their way for whatever reason, but um, you know, they're they're a team that's better than their record. I always hated that that silly quote from Bill Parcells about you are what your record is because it's that's absolutely incorrect. Um, you know, as far as that goes with regard to projecting going forward uh, you know in terms of what you've done in the past uh, that quote works but it does not work with projecting going forward which is uh, really what my power rankings and mathematical model are based on trying to project going forward so um it uses uh, expected points added per play, yards per play, uh, strength of schedule, strength of opponent, things like that. Um, accounts for close wins versus blowouts. Uh, without getting into the minutiae, those are kind of some of the factors that go into it. So uh, if you've played a lot of close games and still lost them, um, you know, by three or less, uh, you're going to probably be a little higher in, the, in, in my model than you might think you would be in one based on traditional wins. Okay, so that's an interesting breakdown, but Ben, I know you just watch the league. You understand the league. You talk to people in the league. As an observer from Denver, when you watch the Browns, when you talk to people about the Browns, what is your view of the Browns with your eyeballs and your ears through the first four games? Uh, they're a much improved team. They're, they're a drastically improved football team. And once especially Baker Mayfield got in there, there's, there's a competency on offense to match uh, a good, young, aggressive defense. Uh, the style of defense that they play is uh, um, we'll, we'll give up a few explosive plays here or there simply because there's, you know, there's a lot of man components to it. And, you know, you can get a, you can get a blown coverage here or there. So um, that's one thing that's, that's the pratfall of playing that style of defense at Greg Williams plays. It's, it's very effective. It's very good. Uh, but occasionally it'll give up a, an explosive big play uh, that it shouldn't because of the over-aggressive nature of it. So, um, you know, I think coaches and, and players and agents that I've talked to all expect uh, Cleveland is no longer a laughingstock. They are a competitive football team. And while I don't think they're in any danger of stumbling into a Super Bowl this year, uh, I think that they're a team that's going to give a lot of teams fits. It's a team you, you now have to game plan for that you, you know, I mean, of course you have to game plan for before, but uh, it was a team, it was a, it was marked as a W on the, on the sheet of the pre- in the preseason, and now it's, it's not. It's a game you're going to have to play. I know you've, you've tweeted about their defense in particular. Um, when you look at their defense and they have Miles Garrett and Larry Ogunjobi and Emmanuel Ogba, they seem to have multiple guys who can, who can get a pass rush. They have a corner like Denzel Ward. Um, what is it that you really like about the defense? Is it that pairing of pass rush and coverage? Is it the style of play? It does seem like also they might have 11 competent guys on the field, which they certainly have not had before. What stands out to you? Is it mostly Miles Garrett and that kind of thing, or is there something else as well? Well, it's 
combination of things. I mean, you alluded to it there. They've got a, an excellent pass rush, uh, and it, they've really done a great job building that defensive line. Uh, Ogunjobi was a heck of a find. Uh, Ogba and 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 um, you know Garrett obviously was was pretty much a no brainer there. Um, but you know, I, I think it's pairing that with the ability to uh, find corners that can play on an island, guys that can uh, that can play defense, that can ball hawk. Uh, you know, like like Ward, uh, and and being not being afraid to. Um, you know, take him early, take him there for what everybody else expected them to uh, go after another pass rusher like Bradley Chubb. So, uh, you know, I think that um, I, I think that investing heavily in that secondary as they did this offseason has worked wonders. I, I fully expect them to try to work to improve that linebacking core this coming offseason uh, because there's some, some serious deficiencies there. Um, so I, I think that that's really the next area that they need to, you know, need to work. But, you know, overall, the defense is aggressive. It hits hard. It goes after the football. Uh, it's ball hawking in the secondary. And I think those are the things you need to succeed in the modern NFL. Ben, I know you know the whole league, but I, my understanding is you, you have a, um, a particular eye on the Kansas City Chiefs at times. Knowing John Dorsey, knowing how John Dorsey works, what do you? what is your level of belief in John Dorsey in continuing to build this roster in Cleveland and have them try to take the next step from competitive to being a playoff team? Well, building a talented roster has always been his forte. It's never been about talent evaluation. John Dorsey is an incredible eye for talent. That's that's never been the problem. The problem has been his ability to manage his salary cap and keep those talented rosters together without getting in financial issues. Uh, so that's the thing to keep an eye on. Him starting out with uh, an incredible amount of cap space there over there in Cleveland, uh, you know, it's kind of a boon to him. But he will need assistance going down the line as he does tend to pay people at the wrong times or overpay people and lock himself into contracts that get him tr- in trouble down the line. Um, so, you know, you, you have to be you have to be careful with that. Uh, and I think that's the thing. You know, I think as soon as we all saw that Jarvis Landry contract, we're like, oh, great, here's John Dorsey again. Um, but, you know, the Browns kind of had to pay Landry uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, getting that free agent or getting that guy in there, um, not free agent, getting a guy in there like that who, um, you know, is, is a big name and has the ability to turn around the perception of what the Browns are trying to do. Uh, you had to kind of pay that premium to get him in there. And I, I think in that case, it was the right thing to do, ultimately, although me generic general manager of some other team may not have paid him that much. Um, so, you know, I, I think the only thing to watch out with Dorsey is you can trust his eye for talent. He's good at it. Uh, but the thing to keep your eye out on is, is once the three or four years from now when that financial situation starts to get a little dicey, you need somebody who has the uh, the, the strength of the voice in that front office to be able to rein him in on certain veteran contracts. Ben, I want to go back to the other time we had you on the podcast here before the draft. Uh, a couple years ago, and you were a guy, I think you might have been the only guy I talked to who was talking about the idea of Patrick Mahomes and the Browns at number 12 in the first round. Um, We know that the Chiefs and John Dorsey traded up to number 10 to take Patrick Mahomes. Looking at what Patrick Mahomes is doing now, A, how confident from your sources were you that the Browns would have taken Patrick Mahomes at 12, and B, do you think Patrick Mahomes would have t- developed in Cleveland the same way he has in Kansas City, or is there something that Andy Reid has done there that ha- in scheme and development that has allowed Patrick Mahomes to do what he's done through the first four weeks? I am 100% that the, the Browns would have taken him there. In fact, the Chiefs traded up to the spot that they did specifically because they were worried about the Browns taking him there. Um, so 
So I, I will tell you that they would have taken Pat Mahomes 100%. Um, the uh, uh, as far as um, you know, Pat's um, you know development. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that I can make a comment on whether or not he would have developed the same. The natural tools still all would have been there. Um, I don't know that the offense would have been as flexible and maybe cater to his skill set um, the way it is in Kansas City. Uh, but you know, he, he's got the natural tools to succeed in almost any offense. Um, and now that you've got Todd Haley in there, a guy who's got the uh, you know anybody who's got a, a big enough arm is going to succeed in a in a Todd Haley offense. Um, so you know, and we've seen that uh, you know with Tyrod hitting the bench and, and Baker coming on and, and the offense looking more efficient. You just need a little bit of a bigger arm to work that Todd Haley offense. So the idea that the Browns missed out on Patrick Mahomes, we know it's been a bugaboo for the Browns for two decades missing out on quarterbacks, taking the wrong ones. Do you think, from your viewpoint, does Baker Mayfield feel like a guy so early who is going to be a successful quarterback in Cleveland for a long time? Oh, absolutely. Uh, He is. He's going to be that guy. Uh, you know, he, he just he, he processes the field so quickly. He has the high football IQ. Everybody talks about it. It's a pebble term, but he's got it. But he, he processes the reset so quickly, and I haven't seen that out of anybody who's a, a, a freshman, you know, rookie NFL quarterback uh, since Drew Brees. That, and that's Baker's comparison. I know that's lofty, and I hate invoking Hall of Fame names for, you know, for guys in their first year because it sets an expectation level, and then, you know, people people start quoting things, and it, it gets out of hand. But the, the, in terms of an archetype, in terms of what he does on on the field. Baker Mayfield is Drew Brees 2.0. Uh, and I've said that, you know, since last year in the middle of the season when I'm sitting here screaming up and down, this guy should be the first quarterback taken. The Browns got it right, and ultimately John Dorsey is going to cement himself as a legend here, uh, being the guy who picked both Pat Mahomes and Baker Mayfield. So, Ben, tell me, this is a comparison that, that I've dropped a few times. Probably other some pe- people also have done the same thing. Tell me if this is unfair. When you look at the Los Angeles Rams, You see what they had in Jared Goff in year one. He didn't get to play right away. He didn't look that great. They move on from Jeff Fisher. They bring in a sharp offensive mind in Sean McVay, and away the Rams go. We see where they are now. I look at Baker Mayfield in year one, Hugh Jackson as this coach. I've been very critical of Hugh Jackson in the past. I'm trying to have an open mind, but the idea to me that maybe Hugh's not the guy, and if they get a sharp offensive mind and leader in here, for Baker's second year moving forward, maybe we could see a kind of jump like the Rams. Not exactly, but just that comparison in general. Do you do you think there's anything to that, or is that a poor comparison by me for what the future might be in Cleveland? Well, I think it's fair. Um, you know, I, I think that the way to look at this is, you know, the Browns brought in Todd Haley. You've got Todd Haley and Greg Williams who both have plenty of NFL experience, plenty of winning NFL experience. Um, you know, with Jared Goff in his first year, the offensive coordinator they had year, but it was utterly incompetent. He had absolutely no business being an offensive coordinator. Uh, so, you know, going from that to, you know, a sharp mind like McVay really helped him out. Uh, you look, um, for instance, in reverse, uh, at the drop-off for uh, Derek Carr last year and the year before. The, the year previous, he had most great career numbers. The next year, he had a quality control coach who got promoted to offensive coordinator who had never coordinated at any level, including high school, which is where he got to start. And, uh, you know, you could see the dramatic difference. He just didn't know what he was doing. So having a, a coordinator that, that has experience and is competent, um, you know, will, will, will yield 
wonders. And I, I think that having a guy with an ego like Todd Haley uh, paired with a guy who has an ego like Hugh Jackson will help bring out excellence in each other because neither one wants to be seen as the guy that's inferior to the other. So I, I think that, you know, both those guys are, uh, you know, have, have the ability to coach at the NFL level. I just think, I think Haley's the sharper mind, and I think he will push Hugh into doing the right thing uh, in a lot of cases. The people that you talk to in the league, the perception around the league, do you believe that that Hugh Jackson does have a chance to succeed long-term here in Cleveland, Ben, or would you expect that, you know what, just sort of the way he was viewed, the more likely scenario is that the Browns move on at some point, and when they get over the top, it's with a different head coach? Uh, you know, I would suggest that just based on the animosity for the last two seasons, that he used, uh tenure is... Uh, let's call it shaky to be charitable, um, simply because it's you know there's just that currency there. You know the guys won, you know just to play games in two seasons. It's it's tough to continue to convince people without going on a big time winning run this season that you know that he's the guy to take your obviously quarterback of the future into the future. Uh, whether that guy to take over is Todd Haley, whether it's somebody else, I don't know. Um, I know John Dorsey very strongly uh, is interested in, in Jim Schwartz again as a head coach uh, if he's willing to bring. In, uh, you know, an offensive mind. So, just a name to keep your eye on there if things start to go south. Okay. So, Ben, as you look at the Browns and, and as you look at teams in the NFL that have succeeded, do you feel like the Browns have their things in place and just they're going to get a little more experienced and next year and the year after they are ready to be a playoff contender? Or as you look at them, would you say, well, they have to fix this, they need to add this? if they really want to get to a point where they're trying to be one of the best teams in the AFC? Uh, I think they need another receiver. I think they need to shore up that linebacking core and, you know, maybe uh, need to finally solve that left tackle position, uh, the offensive tackle position. I think the right tackle you know, is pretty much settled the left tackle position. You kind of need to, need to work with a little bit. But, um, you know, I, I think that's really kind of where it is. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that they're a team that's probably um, – you know, going to finish the season around this season around 500. Um, you know, seven and nine. I don't think is is at all out of the realm of possibility. Um, and I think that uh, you know that they're a team that's going to look to fill a few holes and try to be a playoff team next year. Uh, whether that's with a coaching change, whether that's with the same staff, I at this point couldn't tell you. Although I would lean to coaching change. Um, but I, I think the Browns are looking at this as, uh, you know, we're going to be competitive this year, although we may not, you know, make the playoffs. We're going to figure out where the hole in our plug goes, and then we're making a run next year. we got a young quarterback on a first contract. Let's do this thing. All right, Ben. I, I, I'm, I want to talk about you a little bit because I'm just sort of fascinated by uh, your place in the NFL, NFL universe at the moment. You're, you're a guy who's based in Denver and is, is a media guy there, but you do have a bead on the entire NFL. First of all, how did you get into this business? You you were in the military, right? How did you wind up being in NFL media? <laughs> I, I fell backwards into it. Um, you know, it's one of those things where um, you know I, I played high school ball, uh, kind of got a legacy thing to you know from college where I uh, wasn't even good enough to be a bench warmer. I stood at the end of the bench with my helmet in my hands, and you know I kind of did that thing. But that led to connections, um, and those connections led to you know to other things, whether that was um, you know, asking for my opinion on things because people valued my, you know, my eyesight on things for whatever reason, and um, that parlayed into a, you know, into a little consulting gig for a year down there in Tampa, and um, then when everybody got fired down there, I was like, well, what am I going to do next? Um, and so, you know, I decided, uh, uh, you know, I was going to look back into, you 
know, regular trades, not in the media. And uh, a guy dialed me up and was like, you know, you need to you need to come on my radio program and talk about this stuff. And I did. And I guess the you know the station manager there really really liked what I had to say. It was like, well, we should get you a weekend program. And you know, that lasted a couple of months. He's like, well, we got to get you on weekdays. And so you know, I just kept snowballing from there. And you know, having the being lucky and having having the uh, the contacts that I've happened upon, and you know, and those kinds of things, it's all just been, um, you know, kind of a really more of a lucky thing than anything else. And it's allowed me to kind of parlay this into a into a career, uh, you know, in the background as an information broker, and in the foreground as a as an NFL reporter. So Ben, when you're trying to break in like that, I know you had the report last year from um, one of the people in Berea, one of the Browns' assistants, about what things were like there. Just how do you go about, how did you go about when you're breaking into the business like that, establishing connections and getting sources and having people that trust you and that you trust them and you are, you're able to be an information broker? What do you have to sell to people to, to be a, let them know you're a guy that they can trust? You, you just have to be yourself, uh, and you let your le- reputation precede you. Now, in the beginning, when you're first doing it, um, you have to be that guy who's you know who's willing to do anything, willing to do everything. You know, if they ask you something, if they they want something, you have to be willing to give all that. And you know, in the beginning, I didn't have any leverage. I just kind of you know what I'd heard, I just told the people, and you know, as those things started to come true, they were like, oh, well, what are you hearing about this? And so at that point in time, I I just kind of clicked that you know, maybe I should leverage this to acquire information from the people who are seeking information from me. And so that's kind of what I did. You got something, you give me something, you know, and, and that's kind of where that, where that went. Um, you know, uh, there have been times where people have given me some stuff that, you know, that didn't pan out or, you know, didn't turn out to be, um, you know, exactly accurate. And at that point in time, I just quit giving those people information. You know, people have kind of gotten the idea now that if they give me something that's not accurate, they're not ever going to get accurate things from me again. Interesting. So what do you? What would you like to do with your career, Ben? You have radio in Denver. I know you've done some of these uh, Facebook Live NFL shows, right? Are you still doing those? Uh, we're actually making the move to television. I'm not supposed to announce that yet, but who cares? You, I'll give you the give you the deal there. Or I'm making the move to television. Um, it's going to be financed out of my own pocket as far as that kind of stuff goes. But uh, we're making the move to television and kind of kind of keep control of our own brand here. Um, you know, I, I I was working with a group on Facebook or whatever, but I didn't really after doing that a little while. I didn't quite feel comfortable with that, you know, any, any further. So, uh, especially with their you know their idea of trying to profit off certain things that I didn't feel were uh, was right. So, uh, you know, I, I like the idea of keeping control of my own name, my own brand. I've had offers from you know some of the major outlets before, but um, their uh, salary and uh, and demands were not exactly what I was looking for. Um, I'm fortunate enough to. Uh, to have had some, you know, some investments and, and other things, you know, go off. So I, I don't really, quote unquote, need the money. I'm comfortable enough that I can kind of do how I want to do it. And so that puts me in a fortunate position, I guess, um, versus a lot of people in media who, you know, as you well know, the money's not great. So, um, you know, we, we tend to, um, you know, maybe deviate from uh, things that we had set out to do in order to make sure we make ends meet, you know. So uh, I've been kind of fortunate in that regard and, and kind of lucky. And I'd like to kind of keep control of my brand as long as I can. Do you like Twitter or does Twitter drive you nuts? You're very active on there. You're engaged with people. What do you think of that whole scene? Uh, both. <laughs> <laughs> it's a love-hate relationship. Um, 
again, I, I, to be honest with you, I enjoy engaging with people. I enjoy being able to answer, you know, jump in there and try to answer everybody's questions. I do. I get frustrated by the amount of times people try to monopolize that by trolling. Uh, it is frustrating. It does get to me sometimes, um, which I think is, is probably evident. Um, you know, so what I try to do is lightly punch back on the on the medium type comments so that people understand that you know, hey, this is uh, time is a currency. I only have so much time I can spend doing certain things. So if you're the guy who's monopolizing my time, uh, that means that somebody else's question I'm not able to get to an answer. And so, you know, I think a large portion of my audience understands that, and they try to help keep those types of people at bay. All right, Ben. So we appreciate you spending some of your time with us. If if people just want to make sure they're locked in on what you're talking about with the NFL is Twitter the best way or what's just the peop- what's the best way for people in Cleveland to keep up with Ben Albright uh, for the moment uh, you know Twitter's the best mechanism it's the it's the widest reaching um, you know I'm, I'm putting something together like I said and I'll announce that on Twitter okay. um, you know going forward here in the next couple of weeks but the, the Twitter at uh, Albright NFL is probably the, the best way all right, man. Well, we always appreciate your insight. Um, you're a great Twitter follow. I respect your opinion on the NFL. And so thanks so much for dropping in on Takes by the Lake, and hopefully we can have you on again sometime. Absolutely, brother. Take care. Thank you, Ben. And that's it for another Takes by the Lake. Thanks to Ben. Thanks to you guys for listening. Again, I'm Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com. Find my work there. Find me on Twitter. Uh, drop a review if you'd like. You can listen to all of our other Cleveland.com podcasts. Orange and Brown Podcast. That's Dan Lobby and Mary Kay Cabot. Uh, make sure you're keeping up with the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast here as the Indians are in the playoffs with Joe Noga and Paul Hoynes. The Cavs are getting rolling with Chris Fedor. That's the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. And don't forget Buckeye Talk. That's our Ohio State podcast um, that I'm a part of. And Bill Landis will be saying goodbye shortly. But we should have some new voices on there soon, too. So thanks to everyone. Um, always appreciate you guys listening. Enjoy doing this uh, podcast. And we'll continue to keep this rolling. Um, so for now, I'm Doug. Thanks again. And we'll talk to you next time.